Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for the love that you have for your people. Thank you that you rescue, you provide, and you do all things well for your people. We pray now in your word we would see you and love you as you have loved us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In the track and field world, the 300-meter hurdles is a brutal event. In truth, every running event in track is difficult because you're giving your all every, in every one of those events. And it always hurts. Can I get an amen? amen? There's some of them out there. Some races hurt for three seconds. Some hurt for ten minutes, but they all hurt. But the 300 hurdles usually draws some blood. You're giving it everything you've got, and just as you get in stride, you have to jump over something. And if you watch this event enough times, you sort of get an eye for the experience level of the runners, especially in high school. There's almost always some poor kid that has never run this event before. The coach is filling a spot or he's stretching for a few extra points at a big meet. But after a hurdle or two, the newbies are easy to spot. They usually go out way too fast, and somewhere around the third hurdle, you notice they're clearing the bar by less and less. And by the time they get to meter 250, and that last hurdle stands ominously before them, you begin to hope and pray that it's not nosedive time. The experienced runners, they know what's coming, and they train, and they pace, and they save just enough to finish, and some of them don't make it either. But frankly, if you run it right, by the time you get to the end, you're as good as dead. Yesterday at my daughter's track meet, I nervously watched the 300 hurdles. Miraculously, and I mean this, there were no nosedives. But something happened at the end of the race that struck it struck me and it stuck with me. There was a young man running who appeared to be one of the potential nose divers. And as he cleared the last hurdle and stumbled toward the finish line, he yelled out, glory to God. <laughs> and as soon as he said it, everyone like you standing at the finish line began to laugh. And I began to laugh and he began to laugh. There was laughter at the glory of God for his miraculous provision. But as the chuckles subsided, I began to wonder, why did we laugh? Why did we laugh at that? 
I mean, one level we laughed because it was funny. It was so funny. But as I walked away, I began to wonder if there was not more to the laughter. That young man was as good as dead when he came safely over that last hurdle. And as he ended, reached the end of his 40-second brutal journey, he felt in that moment it was the power of God that did the impossible and got him safely over. And when he gave glory to God, we laughed with him. His joy became our joy. His laughter became our laughter. Our text this morning is full of laughter. It's full of laughter. In fact, even the backstory is full of laughter. I want you to get your Bibles handy if you have them. Um, We're going to be all over a few chapters today. Um, So I'll tell you when you need to flip and turn, but just stay in Genesis 15-ish, okay? And you'll be close. You see, we've been looking at Abraham's life for the last few weeks. I'm not going to revisit much, but I want to take just a couple of passages along the way which have led us to this point in chapter 21. You see, Abraham and Sarah had no children. They had relatives, they had servants, they had herds, they had riches, they had no child. But they had something more precious than anything else. They had a promise And it was promised from Yahweh, the Lord himself. And the promise had a number of dimensions. God had promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan. He promised to make Abraham's name great. He promised to make him into a great nation that many nations would descend from him. He promised to bless Abraham. And God promised Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And later God had promised that Abraham's descendants would number as the stars in the sky and the dust of the earth. But there was a big problem. Abraham and Sarah had no child. You see, most of what God had promised Abraham was utterly dependent on a descendant. And just one would do. But Sarah was barren. Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord first appeared to him. And already it seemed like God was late to the party. Well, some years passed and the Lord appeared to Abraham a second time. And in chapter chapter 15, which we looked at a few weeks ago, Abraham, still called Abram at that point, uh, he said these words to God. Remember, we talked about it. It sounded like a threat almost. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Here the promise to Abram becomes even more specific, because God says this to him, This man shall not be your heir. Now that's an important development, because, you see, Abram had believed the promise, but he couldn't see how it was going to be fulfilled. God said to Abram, no, your very own son shall be your heir. Now Abram knows he's going to have a biological son as his heir. Now fast forward to chapter 16, which begins with these words. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. From Abram and Sarah's perspective, the promise of God was in jeopardy. 
They needed to do something to help God, or so they thought. So Sarah had surely given up hope of ever conceiving a child for Abram. So you know what she did? It was a custom of the time, but she actually she had a servant named Hagar, and she gave her servant to Abram and said, maybe she can give you a son. And Hagar did indeed bear a son for Abram when he was 86 years old. It appeared to them both that the promise would be fulfilled through this child, Ishmael. But then the unexpected happens. In chapter 17, God reiterates the promise. Again, he reveals more. Let's look at verse 15. Turn to chapter 17 of Genesis. Let's look at this for a moment. You see, Abram's 99. 13 years have passed now since Abraham and Sarah hatched their scheme to get Abram a son. A son from his own body. And as far as they know, listen, that's as good as it gets. As far as they know. Look at verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, (laughs) Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now I know this is an ancient text. And if we're not careful, we're going to flatten these characters out and just make them these one-dimensional people with no real dreams or aspirations or emotions. But I want you to put yourself in Abraham's place for just a minute. Abraham is 99 years old. That's old. Even by Genesis standards. And it's been 13 years since he last heard from God. I think Abraham thinks this is as good as it gets. He's nearing the end of his life. God had given him a son as a result of his relation with Hagar. But Sarah was still barren. But that was not the end of the story. No, at 99 years old, Abraham's story is really in the first act. Because of what God promises to Abraham in chapter 17 is a life-altering promise. It's so good. It's so good to be true good. Abraham falls on the ground laughing at the news. But you know, this is not a laughter of joy. You see, beginning with this scene in 17, laughter becomes a consistent theme for the next four chapters. But you have to read carefully. The scripture uses this word laughter, but it's nuanced. 
In other words, it's not always the same kind of laughter. You see, here in chapter 17, it's not a laughter of overwhelming joy. It's something else. We know this because of what Abraham says. Look back at verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, God, I can't handle this roller coaster anymore. For 25 years you've been making these promises to me. And as far as I can tell, I've done more to make them come true than you have. Just accept Ishmael as the heir and let me die in peace. Abraham's laughter was somewhere between exhausted frustration and mocking disbelief. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of laughter before. I have. It could be in your marriage, it could be with a friend in a work situation, but the frustration of unmet expectations, it builds and builds for years. And that person makes the promise of change to you one more time, and you can't hold it in. They make the promise one more time, and the anger manifests as defiant laughter, and you laugh at the foolishness and lack of self-awareness of the one making the promise. There's no joy in that kind of laughter. And I think in this moment, Abraham's frustration with God, his exhaustion of longing to see the promises fulfilled, I think he hits a breaking point. Up until this point, everything God has promised has at least the possibility of being fulfilled, albeit through the schemes of man. If Ishmael is fruitful, if his line grows... If the stars align and by some set of circumstances Ishmael's descendants obtain the land, maybe the promises will hold. You know, Jimmy and I talked about this yesterday. The New Testament calls Abraham the man of faith. And so he was. But you know, like, like our faith and faithfulness, Abraham seemed to wax and wane, didn't it? He really wants to believe, but he's tired. And here I think he's worn out. So he said to God, can it just be Ishmael? Look at verse 19. God said, no. But Sarah, Sarah your wife will bear a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And just as in chapter 15, God graciously gives Abraham assurance in the promise. The first time it was through the covenant ceremony. This time, God reassures Abraham by confirming verbally to him again. Like I said a few weeks ago, God does not have to confirm his word. But in his grace, he repeats it to Abraham. No, Sarah will bear a child for you. And you shall call his name Isaac, which means he laughs. He laughs. Well, that was Abraham's response. What about Sarah? What is Sarah's response? As far as we can tell, Abraham doesn't tell her. Husbands, have you ever had something you really didn't want to tell your wife for fear that she was tired of hearing it? I have. 
Apparently, that's where Abraham is on this. Listen, if Abraham is tired, frustrated, and a bit angry, Sarah is all of those things and more. We don't have time to look at it, but Sarah Sarah has some serious giver's remorse. She gave her servant girl to Abraham to bear him a son, and it has brought her nothing but contempt and shame and anger and disappointment. This is not the point of the sermon, but let me just say to you pastorally, beware of finding a way to give yourself what God has withheld. The worst could happen. You could succeed. Sarah got what she wanted, only to find out it was not what she wanted. And she's tired. She's about 90 years old at this point. She has long since stopped hoping that she will have any real part to play in these promises. She has long since stopped hoping that there will ever be the soft touch of a baby's cheek on her breast. And Abraham is probably afraid that Sarah just can't handle any more disappointment. To get her hopes up one more time would be just too cruel. But in chapter 18, the Lord speaks again to Abraham. Look at chapter 18, flip over one page. Chapter 18, starting in verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. He's talking to Abraham. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Uh Uh-oh. Cat's out of the bag. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Can you imagine this scene? Sarah's approaching the tent. She hears the voice of the Lord inside and she stands outside the door. Maybe just to the right, just to the left. Maybe the the flap was closed. I don't know. You've been camping, that flap. She overhears these words, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, what do you think her response is going to be? Oh, goody. Look at verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Long ceased. From a childbearing standpoint, Sarah's as good as dead. So how does Sarah respond? Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? You can hear in these words the same laughter of, laughter of mockery and frustration. In the wave of a long experienced disappointment, Sarah laughs, but it is not a laugh of joy. Now look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for God? It's the rhetorical question. God himself says, is anything too hard for me? God is certain of his word. He's certain of his intention. He is certain of his ability to fulfill all that he has promised in exactly the way that he promised it. Now flip back over to chapter 21. It's our sermon text. 
Verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Man, doesn't that, isn't that more exciting now? Isn't that more exciting with the backstory? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. He did to her as he had promised. And he did it at the time he said he would do it. Twenty-five years had passed since God first promised Abraham. But at just the right time, God provided a son. Can you imagine what this did to this woman? <laughs> Friends, in an emotional sense, Sarah is born again. Have you ever known a woman who has a couple, three kids in their late teens who finds out she's going to have an unexpected child? I call it the scramble. She's given away baby beds, changing tables, strollers, maternity clothes, and suddenly she realizes it hits her. I need all that stuff back. In a sense, a part of her life she thought was over comes rushing back in on her. And it's a bit of a rebirth. Sure, sometimes it's a mixture of fear and anxiety and what are we going to do and expectant joy. But in my experience, the joy wins. It's a rebirth. But for Sarah, it's far beyond that. Sarah was as good as dead. Every night when she lay down to sleep, it was a real possibility that it might be permanent, physically speaking. The story of her life could end with that last closing of her eyes. The visitation from God is like a lightning bolt to her crashed heart. New life has filled Sarah. Now what is her response? Look at verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me. God has turned the laughter of mockery and frustration into the laughter of unmitigated joy for Sarah. And I think Abraham as well. The text says, as God had commanded, Abraham named his son Isaac, which again means he laughs. I imagine Abraham standing back, crossing his arms, laughing and saying, well, Isaac it is. Isaac it is. The text ends with Sarah's reflection on this miracle of the Lord. Look at verse 7. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. In other words, like that runner at the end of the 300 hurdles, as good as dead... It's as if Sarah screams out, glory to God! And everyone who heard laughed with her. Isaac was the son of laughter. 
His birth brought an unmitigated joy to those who were as good as dead. Nothing is too hard for God. You know, there's a striking resemblance between this text and another visitation text in Scripture. Some of you are thinking, hmm, yeah, that sounds familiar. In Luke 2, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin named Mary, another impossible situation. And he tells her that though she has not known a man, she will conceive and bear a child. Nothing is too hard for God. And his name will be called Jesus. Now listen at the beginning of Mary's song. It's a song of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That sounds a lot like God made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me. Isaac was a son of laughter. And from Luke 2, we see that Jesus was a son of laughter. His birth made Mary say glory to God. God has once again done the impossible. But unlike Isaac, Jesus' name does not mean son of laughter. It means Yahweh saves. In Matthew uh, 118, don't turn there. The angel who announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph, he says this, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' life may have started with laughter, but there was far more to come. Here's how Isaiah describes the servant of the Lord that we now know as Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did you know that Jesus became a man of sorrows so that you could be a son or a daughter of laughter? And it was a far greater miracle than what God did for Sarah. If you're a believer here this morning in Christ, you were, you were as good as dead. Did you know that? And Paul says in Ephesians 2, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. I was thinking about that rejoicing hurdler this morning. He cleared the last hurdle and He gave glory to God. He was as good as dead, but by the power of God, as far as He knew, He ate no gravel. Friends, we didn't need a little help getting to the finish. We were flatlined, laying face down at the starting line when the gun went off. And all of a sudden, God took us to the finish line, and by no power or effort of our own, we awoke to find a blue ribbon being hung around our necks and escorted to the podium. Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead, and God brought new life to them. We were dead and our trespasses and sins, and God made us a life in Jesus Christ. Does that sound too good to be true? 
If so, let me end with these familiar verses. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate and laugh. For this son is my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Friends in Christ, you are the sons and daughters of laughter. As we come to this table, rejoice with God in the impossible, glorious things that he has done to make you his. And when he did it, the Bible says there was joyous laughter in heaven. You who were dead, I who was dead, have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You have, you have turned our mourning into dancing. This gospel is too good to be true, and yet it is. We are the sons and daughters of laughter, and it's not our laughter primarily. It's your laughter and winning us for yourself that we could be where you are. And Lord, it begins even now. Even now, we are the sons and daughters of laughter as we share in union with Christ. Thank you. Thank you for loving us and saving us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.